considering what's going on in uh, the war with Israel right now, uh, I think it's, and I've kind of waited to talk about this kind of stuff, but I'm ready to talk about it. We started on Wednesday. If you didn't come on Wednesday, uh, you missed, you missed uh, kind of the introduction, but we'll kind of go through some of the points. Uh, specifically, what I wanted to do today is not just talk about Israel and the end times, but the reestablishment of the state of Israel. So uh, it's, uh, you know, some messages are inspirational, and they should be. Uh, today's, though, is going to be more informational. I'm going to give you a lot of information. So welcome to uh, Crosspoint University, and class is started just now. The course uh, is on why and what is probably happening, because we don't know for sure. But we do know from the Bible some things. So the whole world's eyes right now are focused on Israel. And this tiny little nation is no bigger than New Jersey. There's, for instance, just for a comparison, in all the world there's only 15 million Jews. That's 0.14% of the world's population. There's 1.2 and maybe a little more billion Muslims which is accounts for about 26% of the world's population. Israel, uh, according to the Bible, Israel would be a stumbling block for the world in the end times. The Bible predicted it thousands of years ago, and all of the events of the end times are not going to be revolving around, for instance, New York City or Los Angeles or Moscow, or Paris, or Rome, or Tokyo. All of the events in the eyes of the world are going to be not on Cairo, or Istanbul, or Beijing, or any of the great cities of the world. It's going to be on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where uh, this tiny uh, little city that sits on a mountain they're going to play a, a key role in the events of the last day. And the whole world, according to the scriptures, um, is going to come down on that one tiny sliver of land that people are dying over and have been for a while. Let me show you a passage and uh, let's see what we can do from this point. But before, let's pray for the sermon, okay? So Heavenly Father, we thank you. We give you all the honor and glory for your word and for this time, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to see and understand and gain the right perspective, because everybody has an opinion about what's going on. Everybody has an opinion of what's fair, what's not fair, who did what to whom and for how long, but the bottom line is that your word tells us that the only opinion that matters and the only thing that is going to be what is fulfilled is what your word has already declared in prophecy so many thousands of years ago because you have a plan you have a purpose for this world and nothing can thwart it nothing could hinder it nothing could put a stop to it and so as Christians as a church it's important that we be aware that we understand and that we can rest and we can know Lord that you're in control you're sovereign you always have been things are going to work out your way so we thank you for that Lord and we just ask you for uh, insight, and we ask you for truth, and we ask you for perspective in this morning uh, sermon, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this little passage that you'll find right here in Zechariah. 
And it's about the end days. It's chapter 12. In chapter 14, we actually have the event of Jesus' return where his feet touched the Mount of Olives and split that mountain into a huge valley that will be where Jesus will reign from for a thousand years when he comes the second time. When he comes in, in, in power, where he comes as not the lamb, but he comes as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering king to take what's his and possess what's his. So this is just a little bit before that. It says, on that day, talking about the end times, talking about the second coming of Christ, and before, obviously there are events leading to it, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. So I don't know if anybody here has ever lifted heavy weights, but that's what Israel is going to be to, the, to, to all the peoples. All who lift it, in other words, all who try to eliminate it, all who try to get rid of it, that is the stone which is Israel, which is Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the millennium. Jerusalem is going to be where Jesus sets up his throne for a thousand year reign. So, who else knows about these plans? Who would want to put a, a stumbling block themselves, if you would? Well, our adversary, the devil, Satan. He knows the plans and he's, he's, he sees these things coming to pass. You don't think he knows the Bible? He knows it, he trembles, the scriptures say. You don't think he knows that his days are counted? Just like someone who's going to a death sentence. They know. He knows his days are numbered. So he's active. He's getting a little bit more riled up. So he says they're going to be a, a, a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves. So if anyone attacks Jerusalem, you're only attacking yourself. Why would you do that? Well, that's what it's going to be. And he says all, and look at this, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. All the nations of the earth? All the nations of the earth? Yeah, that's what it says. That's what Armageddon is in the book of Revelation. If you haven't read it lately, this is probably a good time to do it. It talks about all the nations gathering against tiny little Israel. Right? I put a little note there at the bottom. God uh, denounces the nations that overtake the land of Israel. So he's saying that right there. All the nations of the earth will gather against it, but what will they do to themselves? They'll hurt themselves, right? And it's like a heavy, it's like lifting a heavy weight. Jerusalem will surely hurt any people that try to gain victory over it. So, no one has been successful to this point since the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948. There's another passage I'd like to show you going the wrong way, aren't I? This one is in Ezekiel. Before that, I want to just read from the Psalms. This is where we're going to be for a minute. Psalms 46, verses 5 through 7 says this, God is in the midst of her, speaking about Jerusalem and Israel. She will not be moved. This is Psalm 46, 5 and 7 for you note takers. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah, which means think about that. So the Lord of hosts is a military term. 
God is spoken of as like a conquering general, like a warrior. The host means everything. The Lord of hosts. Hosts of armies, specifically. But everything. I don't know if we know that the God of this Bible that we preach, He's Lord of everything. He's Lord of rocks and mountains and oceans. and He's Lord of rivers and lands. All the silver and the gold is mine, says the Lord. The cattle on a thousand hills, they belong to him. Whatever we have, it's just, we're just, he lets us, he's allowing us, he's lent it to us. I don't know if we know that. And so when we talk about the end times, we kind of want to consider who, who the Lord is really and how he reveals himself. And so we're going to look at uh, this particular uh, chapter, Ezekiel uh, 36, uh, just the first seven verses. But I want to give you a couple, uh, a little bit of history. Okay, how we got to where we're at. Okay, so Israel obviously has been reestablished as a state. They're there, right? Judah, in the Old Testament, in the year 586 B.C., Judah was taken into captivity to Babylon. You remember the exile into, into Babylon. And they had no homeland and they were dominated, they were occupied, they were persecuted by other world governments throughout all their history until May 14, 1948, when the nation of Israel was reestablished. So if you take from 586 B.C. to uh, 1948 A.D., it's 2,500 years these people had no homeland, they had lost their original language, Hebrew. By the way, do you know what language they actually spoke when they came out of their captivity from Babylon? Aramaic. The common people did, at least. Right? There's actually an Aramaic Bible. It's one of the most precise Bibles, if you really want to know what, like a literal, of what Jesus preached. There's an Aramaic Bible. It's very accurate. He spoke Aramaic. It was a common language during his ministry. Obviously, there's Greek and there's Rome. Um, there's a language of Latin of the Romans, right? They, they, those languages were usually used for politicians or uh, the religious circles and also scholarly circles. So only the, the elite spoke Greek or Latin, the language of the Romans or the language of the Greeks. The rest of the people spoke Aramaic, like Jesus when he preached. So the Jews go into Babylon. We know they come back into Judah. They reestablish the temple when Jesus arrives, right? 400 years later, after the last book of the Old Testament was written, Malachi. Jesus shows up. But were they occupied by Rome? Yeah, they weren't free. Were they persecuted by Rome? Yeah, they, they were. Were they mistreated? Yeah, and then in 70 AD, the, the Romans sacked Jerusalem. They literally destroy the temple stone by stone. They steal all the gold, all the artifacts and everything, and it's gone. Some of the gold melted when they burned it down. They would go into the cracks between the stones, and the Roman soldiers would go, would literally, that's how it got tore apart even more. 
And the Lord had predicted that, had prophesied that. So here, here's what I want you to see. For 2,500 years, the Jews have no homeland. And they're scattered into the world. They're dispersed, exiled. I don't know what word you want to use. And it all starts with Babylon. Then, of course, the Persians came in after Babylon. Then the Greeks. Then Rome. Then the Byzantine Empire, from which rises out the Catholic Church. Then the Islamic Empire with Muhammad. And then, and you can go look at this up. Then the Ottoman Empire, which was the Turkish Empire, which ruled the Middle East. And then in 1917, in World War I, the British Empire came into play in that area of the world. And it was Churchill who drew the map that we have today. He's the one that said, okay, let's call this Israel, Palestine. Or let's call this part Iraq and Iran and which was an ancient world would be Babylon or would be some of the nations that we see there now like Saudi Arabia. So all of these things happen in history and the Jews are just bounced around back and forth and they live in, they had the Spanish Inquisition, you probably read about that. They were always persecuted, they've always been mistreated. And of course the greatest mistreatment that we know of was during World War II with Adolf Hitler and what uh, he had called the final solution. And he, he destroyed, uh, to destroy the Jewish people, he ultimately murdered, anybody know how many million? Six million of them in what's called the Holocaust. You can go to the museum in Pasadena. That event caused sympathy and there was a movement called the Zionist movement. And there was a precursor to the United Nations called the League of Nations. They're the ones who, with Churchill, who was prime minister of the British Empire, they had just defeated the Ottoman Empire, the Turks. And so they decide, we're going to establish the land of Israel. So I want to show you first this passage but before that, let me just say this. The fact that Israel is there is a miracle. The fact that they had almost been annihilated, but God defended them, and God has a plan for them. No nation under the same circumstances has ever made a comeback. Ever in the history of the world. And so now we have the issue with the Palestine and Hamas, this terrorist group where they come in and they have a strategy behind it. They're trying to pull people, nations into this. They're trying to pull the world into this. The United States, they're trying to pull. Matter of fact, China told uh, uh, the Biden administration, hey, I tell you what, if you leave Taiwan alone, we won't mess with you and Israel. The book of Revelation says that there's going to be a 200 million army of soldiers coming from the east to attack Israel. Who do you think that is? Who even has 200 million China. Ezekiel, and I'll get into it probably in the next weeks, talk about the bear that comes from the north, Gog and Magog, which is known to be the nation of Israel, of uh, Russia today. They are in complete alliance with Iran, Persia of the Old Testament. I want to get into all this stuff in the, later on, but not, it's just a, I'm just doing some broad strokes. So what's happening is things are starting to kind of gel. Come together like the Bible said it would. Oh, this wicked terrorist group, Hamas, 
comes into the scene uh, last Saturday, not yesterday, but a week ago, committing murders and unthinkable atrocities toward women, toward the elderly, toward children, and even babies, beheading babies. It's pure evil and it's pure hell. But that's what they want because they want to provoke something greater. And it will. So let's just look at this, if you don't mind, for a, a, a couple seconds here. Ezekiel 36. You, son of man, remember this is like 800 years before the birth of Christ. 800 years before the birth of Christ. Anyone know how old the United States is? And, well, in, in 1976, we hit 200, right? So 86, 96... 2006, 2016, and then add, what, seven? So that's 47, so 247 years old, the United States. This is 800 years before the birth of Christ. Ezekiel is prophesying this about the future events in the end times. So the Son of Man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, because the enemy says of you, aha, that's a taunt, by the way, and the ancient heights have become our possessions. So the enemy says what? The enemy is saying the ancient heights. Israel is surrounded by mountains. Everywhere you go, there's valleys and mountains. They're saying, we possess or these ancient heights belong to us now. This is what the enemy of Israel is saying. They belong to us. That's the problem. That's what the Lord identifies, by the way, here, isn't it? These people say, this belongs to us. It doesn't, and I'll explain in a minute why. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says our Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations. They're talking about the exile. They got thrown and scattered to the world, right? And he goes on to say, and you became the talk and evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to the mountains and the hills and the ravines and the valleys and the desolate wastes and deserted cities which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord uh, God, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom. The rest of the nations are distant. Edom is neighbors. What, did, what does God have? Hot what? Hot jealousy. Israel is his wife. If we're going to use the context of a relationship, just like Christ, the church is the bride of Christ. He's jealous, but he's hot jealous. That means he's passionate about what the treatment of his people, the Jews. Says verse five. Thus saith the Lord God. Surely, I think we're still up there, right? Can you read that? Let me go to the next, next one. Okay. Therefore says the Lord God. Surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against Edom, who gave my land. What? Who gave my land to themselves? Hey, just because I left my house doesn't mean it's yours. They went on a long vacation. I have the title deed. Still my house. All right? No? Maria, I'm going to... You don't you dare go on vacation. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm taking over. You guys see, I and mean, we can look at it from the house, but what did these people do that made God jealous? He says, you gave my land to them, they gave, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt. In other words, they gleefully took the land for themselves. Like mockingly took the land for themselves. This is ours. Gave my land to themselves. Why is that an issue? Let's keep reading. And that they might make it pasture land uh, a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines, to the valleys. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath. So now longer is he just jealous and hot, have a hot jealousy, passionate jealousy. By the way, jealousy is actually a good thing in the right context because it makes you protect what's yours. And then there's always those creeps that are jealous for the wrong reasons. Not that I know anything about God is emotional. God has feelings. He's jealous. But then he says he's, that I have spoken in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. In other words, they, Israel had sh suffered shame before all the nations. They just mis mistreated them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I swear to the nations that are uh, shall suffer reproach. Here God is making a covenant or he swears by the, uh, by, uh, to the, that the nations that are all around you that shall suffer them, uh, themselves suffer reproach. He, take, he makes a solemn oath that those nations will soon have their own shame to endure because of what they, the shame or the reproach that they've caused Israel. Is that what it says? Anybody here have a... I mean, I don't know. I'm just reading it. So what God does there, number one, this is the, really the main thing of the sermon today. God denounces the nations that overtake or try to overtake Israel to make it their own possession. See, the problem with that is that God made a covenant with Abraham thousands of years earlier. Here it is in Genesis 15, 18. It says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, so who are the offspring? To their, their children's 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 children. Descendants. Your descendants. I will give this land. Who's giving the land? The Lord. Who does it belong to to give? The Lord. And there goes the PowerPoint. Oh, there it is back. Okay, let me do it from over here. So, the Lord I made a covenant. What's a covenant? It's the promise. I will to your offering. I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the. Uh, I will give this land from river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. I'm thinking to myself, okay, let me look at that. So right now, Israel is this little piece of land right here, down to here. This is Gaza right there. That's where all the fighting is in the south. Just this little piece is Israel. God promised Abraham that he would give it to him from here, the Nile. Right, I'm sorry, this is the Nile. That's the, the delta of the Nile. So this is the Nile. He would give him from here 
all the way to the river Euphrates. All of this, and some believe also the Arabian desert. All of this, according to God, was given to Abraham. But they only have this tiny little piece right here. Right here. Is God a liar? David's kingdom was the biggest. It got bigger. It kind of went all the way over this way uh, into what would be today Transjordan or Jordan. David's kingdom got a little bigger. But not as big as, that's the Euphrates and there's the Nile. So either God's a liar or he's not done yet. Not done yet. This is where the millennial kingdom comes in. Okay? Does it say that there? Did I say that right? Let me go back. I will give this land from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay? So what did God do? He gave Abraham the title deed. He made a promise or a covenant with Abraham. So this puts us in a situation where, looking at the map, I I calculated it. I went on to uh, check it out here with some sources I have. And I figured out that was about equal to 300,000 square miles. That's how big it should be. 300,000 square miles. What is the title deed? When God promised that he gave him the land. Well, I went to look it up in the legal sense. It's a, it's a legal document that transfers property ownership from one person to another. It states and proves a person's legal right to own a piece of land. So here's my argument, and here's what I'm trying to get to. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So we have to ask in a very simple quiz I'm going to give you today. Did God make a covenant with Abraham? It's, it's, it's true or false? Yes or no? Did God make a covenant with Abraham? Yes. Did God give him and promise him the land from the Nile to the Euphrates? True. Did God say that any nation that would come down against it would fail in their attempt to overtake it? True. Right? So here's what I want us to, 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 to think of, and we see the things going on around us, is that God is faithful. That God is in control. It's crazy what's going on over there. If that happened here, we would all be right now walking in here dusty and musty because we have no... Uh, you know, we've been shot at, we've been fought at, you know what I mean? And so this is really bad. But there's something going on. Look at this next verse. I think I have another one. These couple other verses. Because what I want to do is establish one thing. Israel and the end times is not a secret as far as the Bible is concerned. Who actually owns the land and who should actually be on that land is known. From the biblical perspective, right? Here's another verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he, speaking about the Lord, who promised is faithful. So if God is faithful with these huge events on the world scene, what about your life? So now let's take this and make it come together for us. What about the promises to the church? What about the promises to our families 
What about the promises about provision? What about the promises of salvation and forgiveness? What about the promises of God's protection and God's guidance? It's all yes. It's all yes. Why? Because God is faithful. See, we can make a promise, but we're not always good at keeping them, are we? No, we try to, unless we have ulterior motives. But as human beings, we, we can fail. We can fail. We do. God does not. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, God, doesn't, God can't because of who he is. He, it, it, he can't fail. There's no possibility of him failing. Right? So, look at the one in Micah. Look at this is to Jacob. This is to Jacob, which is uh, the grandson of Abraham, which becomes Israel. Jacob's name changes to Israel on that night when he wrestled with the angel. And then the angel had to wound his thigh and he limped the rest of his days. But he finally surrendered to God. It says, you will show faithfulness, this is speaking about God, to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. So here's the other thing. This is not just about faithfulness. This is the thing that I marvel. This is about love. You know why God's jealous? Because he loves Israel, his chosen people. And he loves the church. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, obey your husbands. Submit to them as the church submits to Christ. There's a context. This is a love story. There's nothing greater to motivate a person than love. People will go to the furthest ends to demonstrate love to the people they love. Some of you guys, and you may have forgotten what you did to get, be able to win your wives. <laughs> the stuff you did. The stuff you promised. Right? This is about love. Not just faithfulness. God loves his people. God loves those that are his. It goes all the way back to Abraham. He goes, he goes on to say here, you, referring to the Lord, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn. So this is a, this is a, is a sworn tes, testament to our fathers from the days of old. God's always been faithful. Keep looking at some other things. Now I want to jump real quick. Do I have time? Yeah, about 10 minutes. That's when we say saw, huh? Now I want to go to the same chapter 36 and a second point. This is brief, but a second point is going to come out. Look at what it says up here. God defends Israel for his namesake. Why does he do this? Not only because he's faithful, not only because he loves Israel, but because he's what? He's doing it for his namesake. Look what it says. Therefore, this is now moving a couple of verses down. I'm going to skip a few. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, 
that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. So if we want to look at it even deeper, I'm not just doing it necessarily for you. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for my namesake. What, what had Israel done? Which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Now I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am God. So the reason for all of this stuff going on is because God's going to show the world who he is. He already did with the miracle, the fact that they're even there, given their history. I don't know if we understand it. If you, I know that like, uh, part of the current, uh, current trends in, in the world and universities is to actually erase history. There's people that deny the Holocaust. It's not convenient. It's not convenient because it makes us take a position. This will never happen again. So Israel takes this stance right now and they're going to go in and apparently they're going to march in there with tanks and what have you. By the way, they send out all these little flyers to tell them to leave. No nation has ever done that. and The United States did it during World War II. When they were ready to bomb Germany, they sent out flyers. Hey, you guys better clear out. If you don't clear out and get killed with a bomb, that's your fault. Never is it going to happen again, is the position Israel has taken. Because it happened. Six million were killed brutally by Hitler, the Nazi regime. You don't think these people are taking it serious? You don't think it's serious? Well, I, I'm telling you, God does. He says, I will do this not for your sake, in spite of the fact that they have suffered, but for my sake, because I'm holy, my holy name. Then he says there in verse uh, 3, right toward the end, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. You guys see that? The nations will know that I am the Lord. God's going to reveal himself. In a powerful way to the nations. He goes on to say. Declares the Lord God. That's the last part of verse 20. When though, uh, through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations. And gather you from all the countries. And bring you to your own land. We're talking about the reestablishment of the state of Israel. Why they're there now. Because God said they would be. After they were dispersed, after the exile, after they had gone and scattered through all the nations. What does this say in verse 24? I will bring, take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Oh, it's their land? That's what God says. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Hmm. Restoring Israel to the land that God had pledged them. In Genesis 12, 7, he said, To your offspring I will give this land. I will sanctify his great name and move other people to know that I am the Lord. 
This glory for uh, God is the primary reason for Israel's res- restoration. That comes from Ezekiel 20, uh, 36, 32. So, why are they back there? Who do they think they are? Well, they've been already there since 1948. Because this is God's plan. It's going to bring all the world's attention. Maybe it doesn't happen this time. Maybe this little thing ends and they come to some kind of peace agreement. But they'll continue to happen where there will be attacks. They've been through already so many wars. In the end times, there's going to be one that will be the end of all wars. As they call it, the mother of all wars. So, God is showing us what he's going to do. Let me go down here. And I'm going to ask the question, well, what should we do as Christians? Now what? What's next? This. Jesus said, and I think it's a powerful verse, when these things begin to happen, do you think they're beginning to happen? Are they already? Yeah, we see them in, the, in their land. They're there. Have they been given a new heart? And not yet. There's, their repentance is still coming. But they're there. And they've come from all the nations. So what are we supposed to do as Christians? Well, Jesus said, when you see these things happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. What's that mean? That we need to be looking. We need to be expecting for the soon return of Jesus. For the church first. There's this little idea that comes out of the Bible. Although the word's not found, it's a translation called the rapture. That's from the Greek, or rather the Latin. Caught, to be caught away. The next big event for the church. Why we occupy till he comes. Why we're going to the world and making disciples, while we're evangelizing, while we're discipling. That's what we're doing. That's, what we're, that's where we're at right now. We're trying to bring in as many people as God has chosen to come in. And when the time of the Gentiles is over, he's going to call the church up first. And then all kinds of things are going to be released. We won't have to be there. We've been redeemed. Look up for your redemption draws near. Another thing that we're supposed to do, and I didn't put the verse here, but you can write it down. Psalms 122.6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. So we're praying, and our prayer should be that the United States, and we should pray for our president, we should pray for our leaders, that they support Israel. Because God told Abraham, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. If we turn our backs on Israel, we are cursed. We should continue to pray that our president and our leaders in the House, representatives in the Senate, that they continue to support Israel. If they don't, we're done. We're doomed. I don't, just reading what the Bible says. Bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. Speaking to Abraham when he made him the promise. And he was saying that because from Abraham would come a descendant. From his body would come 
the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that's why God says, I will bless them to bless you, and I will curse them to curse you. From the Jews comes the scriptures that we have today. From the Jews came Jesus. It's a clear, I think, for a church, for Christians, the Bible is not controversial. It's very direct and to the point. And we can try and explain it away. You can try and opinionate. Come up with your own ideas. But God has a plan that's greater than everybody's. My question to you is, have you trusted in his faithfulness? Have you leaned into his love? Have you trusted him to control your life, guide your life? Because he's in control. And we're either in or we're out. And so that is the first. I'm going to talk again about some other things starting next week. The rest of chapter 36 where God shows and declares himself to the nations uh, that he is, has reestablished them. And then he's going to demonstrate his power. We're going to see the uh, next uh, week. It's going to be interesting. I don't know if you've heard of the Valley of Dry Bones. But it's a very powerful passage in the Bible of Israel considered dead among the nations brought back into life and that's why they're sitting in the land today so that's chapter 37 we'll look at that tomorrow so let's pray and let's just ask God for uh, a perspective based on his word on his truth that we get from the Bible and the prophecies of thousands of years ago heavenly father thank you as a church father we see these things happening and we wonder but you haven't left us without anything or without a word. As we saw today, Lord, there is a plan. There is a purpose behind everything. There's nothing that's coincidental. There's nothing that just happens randomly. Lord, you have put all the pieces together. And we do know and understand, Father, that we have an enemy. We have an adversary. We have that one who goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. But we're thankful, Lord, that we're covered under your grace and mercy and love in the blood of Christ. We belong to you. We're your possession. We've been bought with a price, the price of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary's cross. And so we know, Lord God, that you will keep us. You know, Lord God, that you have a plan and a purpose for the church, just as you did for Israel. And our prayer, Lord, is as a church that we would understand these things and that we would be busy and about the Father's business. That we would be occupying until you come. Taking the gospel, sharing the good news with those that don't know it, and living like a light in a dark world. We thank you. We give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.